Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Jessica Eggert. Jessica is the CEO and founder of Leg Up, a venture-backed Seattle-based organization that connects families to available childcare and helps small business childcare providers grow. Prior to Leg Up, Jessica spent over 10 years in operations, HR, and consulting at various companies, including Common Engine and The Riveter. She also serves as an advisor at Ethel's Club, the first social club in digital space for people of color, and Female Founders Alliance, a startup community dedicated to accelerating the success of highly scalable companies founded by women and non-binary individuals. Alongside these roles, Jessica is a vice chair of the King County Democrats. She previously sat on the board of the Seattle Children's Theater and was a member of the World Economic Forum's Seattle Hub, where she helped organize and lead several initiatives, including raising money for those affected by wildfires. Jessica currently lives in Seattle with her husband and two children. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks, Shauna. Thanks for having me. So I'm guessing that the kids are not like around or that you just have them like hidden in the other room. We're doing this on Zoom. They're somewhat hidden. One is at school part-time yeah. and the other is upstairs uh, yeah. with, our, with our nanny right now. Oh, good. Yeah, we'll talk about the nanny. I'm wondering, I'm yes. guessing that that's how the whole leg up uh, story began. It is. It is. Well, it's more of an au pair. I always feel kind of weird oh. calling it an au pair. But, we had uh, an au pairs. Actually, that's lots to talk about. We had, I think maybe seven or eight years worth of au pairs and they're still wow. in our lives. And um, that was the best move ever. Okay, so we're going to start with some rapid fire. I gave you some easy ones and then some more challenging ones. Um, okay. Okay, do you have a nickname? Uh, I go by Jess, but only if people if people ask. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it's Jessica. <laughs> yeah, and if your parents call you Jessica, are you like in trouble? <laughs> yes, all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, okay, <laughs> are you pool or beach? Beach. And what's your biggest fear? Not being a good mother. Oh, God, that's so true <laughs> for so many moms. Isn't that the, so the truth? Um, you are a great mother, but I have read things that you've talked about. You're a great mother because you love them. I mean, at the end of the day, giving them love, unconditional love is an incredible gift. Um, okay, what's your favorite genre of movie? Not that you're having time for movies these days, but... Yeah, um, you know like horror but not bloody where I'm oh. scared but not too scared oh <laughs> I would say the exact opposite I hate horror I hate feeling scared then when I'm like alone I'm like picturing somebody coming in like, eh, eh, into the shower I'm like that is not so my, my mind at all <laughs> my mind actually goes into like fighter I constantly think about like what would happen if something like this happened what's my plan yeah. I'm a planner so. yeah um, okay, sweet or salty? More fun question. Salty. Uh -huh. If there was a book written about your life, what would it be called? 
Wow. Um, chaos. <laughs> if you could be famous as an athlete, author, movie star, or musician, which would you choose? Athlete. Did you play a sport growing up? I did. I played volleyball in high school and nice. a little bit in college. Yeah. A little bit in college. That's great. Um, okay. So tell me everything. Where are you from? Like, yeah. We cross over so much with so many people, but this is fun for me because I get to know you better. Yeah, I love it. So I'm so I'm in Seattle now, but I've only been here for eight years. I'm actually leaving next month. It's the first time publicly saying that. Wait, where are you going? <laughs> no boy now. I am. So I'm going back to Tampa, actually. So I'm from Tampa, Florida. Um, you know, raised there. I was a military brat. So we moved to a lot of places. My parents divorced in the Tampa area. And uh my family, my husband's family, everyone's out there. Yeah. And right now with little kids, it makes total sense that you would want that support. Has COVID played a role in that decision at all? Like they're, them being 100%. more open? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Interesting. A lot of people are leaving Seattle right now, but anyway. Okay. So you have siblings. You said your whole family's out there. Yes. I'm the oldest of seven and I've got my parents, both sets of parents his parents and they've got lots of kids and grandchildren. And so everyone, except you have a tremendous support system. That's amazing. Huge, huge. Huge. The oldest of seven. How does that play into your identity? It's a, it's been everything, honestly. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely the reason why I am. I don't, have you ever read those, um, little miss books when you were younger? No. There was this one, there's this little series um, called The Little Miss and Little Mister. There's Little Miss like Cranky, Little Miss Liar, Little Miss Boss was mine. And my mother would hand that to me. And she said, even when I was younger, I would just walk around and be like, boss, 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 and take care of everybody. Yeah. Um, always been the bossy one in control. Yeah. Oldest of seven. That's crazy. Are they all in Tampa? Uh, my sister and my brother, I moved up here with me and now I'm leaving them. Um, oh man. And yeah. tell me what you were into as a child besides being boss lady. You know, being the oldest of seven in a divorced family, um, not a whole, you know, I was, I definitely ended up being a caregiver a lot. Um, I went through a rebellious phase between like 15 and 17 before I got myself two jobs and got out of that. So I was really into skateboarding for a while. Um, and that's other than yeah. that, I just worked. Yeah. You were yeah. working. And did you get a sense of when you were younger that you wanted to be successful? I built a 15 year life plan when I was 17. And oh my gosh, exactly what I was going to do. Have you done the, any, like, where are you on this whole like personality assessment? So I use the core values index because it's, um, I don't know if you've heard of that one. It's actually yeah. based here in Seattle. So I am a builder banker. I am the person who collects a lot of details and then tells everybody what to do. Well, that's a good leadership quality, isn't it? I would think. As long as you can balance in that nurturing side. Yes, I found yeah. I've got to pull that in a lot yeah. more. Yeah. And who, I'm, I'm guessing you were kind of mentoring and guiding others. Did you have people in your life that were guiding you along the way? You know, not as much until I started my corporate career. Um, I didn't really have a lot of mentors, not a lot of stability really. Um, and so, yeah, I had, I had mentors in my bosses, honestly, mm -hmm. and I don't know if they saw me as a mentee, but you know, I just watched and um, emulated a lot 
Yeah, a lot so of people have bad habits too, but yeah. Yeah. And so what about your parents? Were they, what was, what was, what kind of values, their core values? What were they teaching you? Um, yeah. My father taught me respect really early. He was military, um, military lifer. And so we were, when we were on base, we would walk around and people would salute him and we were just taught respect really early. Um, but then other than that, you know, I think about the right now in our own family, we have family values. We call them the Eggert family values. And my kids, like they learn them and they, um, they're supposed to, you know, do everything around those values. Right. But then I think about that growing up and I didn't have anything like that as structured, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I think just life lessons, um, teaching me hard work, responsibility, being the oldest and the caregiver, um, in a very intense family. Yeah. What were your, what are your current Eggert family values? So, um, Eggerts are always respectful. We never lie and we take care of each other and that's it. Those are great ones. I mean, it's just the, the core, right? Um, so were you a good student? Were you into, you said this rebellious phase during probably a pretty important time for school, did that spill over into impacting your grades in a negative way? It did. I didn't care about school as much um, when I was in high school. I was actually into culinary arts. So I guess I oh. love that part out. Um, Are you cooking when, still? Uh, I bake a little bit. I don't have as much time, but uh, yeah. all throughout high school, I decided for skateboarding. So I spent all of my time in the kitchen um, at the school, actually working with them. And uh, we launched a, you know, a little bakery in there. And then I left and actually that's how I helped fund myself um, a little bit through the first few years of college was baking and besides the other jobs. Yeah. Good for you. Tell me, I know that you've spoken up a a lot about being a woman of color as a leader. Um, What was your high school like? Was there diversity in your high school? How did that impact you, if at all? Um, it did. So I actually ended up growing in, um, growing up in a very white neighborhood with kind of a white family. So my mother is Puerto Rican and she can identify as white. She's, um, she's, I guess, pale Puerto Rican. And my brother and my sister who are, who look like me, who are darker skin, they actually grew up with my father. Um, and so I grew up in a house where um, everyone else around me was white. We grew up in a very white neighborhood the high school is very white, um, although there were a lot of, um, there was a good amount of Hispanic people um, because we were in a high school that was out near cows and um, and um, mm. a lot of farmland. Um, and there was a lot of Hispanic people in that area. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, other than that, though, I, yeah, I grew up in a very white neighborhood and white, you know, family. And there was, um, I didn't realize at the time that diversity, how it affected me. Um, You know, the first time I was called the N-word was in middle school on the bus and I didn't really understand it. And my mother really couldn't talk about it, didn't feel comfortable to. Um, And so I, you know, it saved me a long time to find out more about my, um, the black side of my family, the heritage Mm -hmm. there, you know. And when, when, when in your life, did you feel like you found your voice and your confidence to be able to speak up? Um, you know, that's a really great question. When I started therapy at 28 and, uh, and realized that I was waiting for permission to talk about it and there was no permission to be given, I just had to start speaking. Yeah. And were you worried about any sort of backlash or, um, anything like that? 
Yes, because I, um, so I started my corporate career very early. And one of the things I told myself was if I wanted to hit my goals, I needed to stay back a little bit and hide a lot of things about who I was. Um, I never told anybody my age. I never spoke about being black or being different, being the only woman at the table, being the only person of color in the room. Um, and so I started speaking up about more, right? Especially when I started therapy, being a woman of color. And I wasn't afraid of the backlash so much as I was afraid of how it, um, well, I guess in, in a way it is backlash, like how it affect my career. Yeah. That's what I mean. That's what I'm I mean. Lab. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just what opportunities would be given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you started, you started I, yeah. your career, um, young, um, and ended college. I know you started in community college and then ended up at, um, university of South Florida. How did you yeah. choose that school? You wanted to stay in Florida? I was there. I was living by myself, um, you know, putting myself through college and was also working a full-time job. Um, and so, yeah, it was just, it was just a natural transition for me. I actually yeah. ended up never graduating college. Um, I went to school first for culinary arts and community college and switched to, um, to accounting and business and then went to school for economics, but it got in the way of my career and me growing and nobody really knew. And so, yeah, interesting as, as a recruiter, I actually just got referred someone who's so high level. And I sent him out a few places who wouldn't interview him because of his lack of degree. And I was just mm-hmm. like, this is such antiquated thinking. And has that impacted you at all in getting interviews? No, um, actually the way I always played it is that I went to college and I never tell people I graduated or anything. And, but it was never really a thing, right? I went to school for economics. I got a lot of those courses out of the way. Mm-hmm. I had a baby. Right. And in the South, that's pretty normal to have a child when you're, you're 21 or so. I had my mm-hmm. son at 23. And um, between that and working a career where I was making really, really good money, um, mm-hmm. it was close to six figures. I was like, I just, I don't need yeah, to. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. School. Yeah. So you had six years with your career in Tampa doing roles that ranged from executive assistant to lots of roles in in ops, which it sounds like really matches your personality. Um, Just keeping things organized and programmed and planned. Um, Incredible skill sets, great foundation. Um, What ended up bringing you our way to Seattle so far away from your family? Yeah. uh, My husband got a job in Amazon. It was 20, it was at 2014 or so. And so mm-hmm. it seemed like a lot of people were moving here for at that, around that time for Amazon. Yeah. And, uh, and is yeah. he still there? He is eight years wow. later. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So what's going to happen? Um, the, I guess they're remote. And so he can work from Florida. Yeah. His, his whole team kind of dispersed really quickly though. So. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and when you got here, was it easy to find a job? I actually, well, I actually kept working for the company I was at uh, back on the East Coast. And so I spent a lot of time in the air traveling to the East Coast, to the Central and then overseas. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. And then I know um, you worked at the Riveter, which was obviously a big company here and um, one that got impacted a lot, I know, by COVID. And you were there for a period running culture. Um, yeah. Was that uh, an experience that helped integrate you? kind of deeply into the community? 
It was, I'd spend a lot of time in the community first, knowing that there weren't a lot of people here that looked like me and I wasn't sure if they thought like me either. So I I actually held a lot of events, um, went to a lot of events, Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time integrating into the community. And that's actually how I ended up meeting Amy. Um, And yeah. And so for me, it was really about entrepreneurship. I never knew, I knew I could move fast and work hard, but that's a whole different level of moving fast yeah. and working hard. Oh yeah. Hard. Especially, especially during the time that you were there. And so what types of events did you host? And then also, I mean, obviously I read it in the intro, um, you know, all of your advisory work and just things that you've gotten involved with between the King County Democrats and Seattle Children's Theater, you know, all of it, yeah. economic, I mean, it's been incredible to see. Was that your way of kind of just really doubling down and saying, you know, I'm going to get in this, in this community in a big way? It was my way of finding what my next 15 years was going to look like. I talked about the, you know, that, that 15 year plan um, and I had reached it earlier than I had expected and I felt really lost. And so I needed to try a lot of different things, meet different people with different perspectives to figure out what the future held for me. Mm -hmm. And did you come to these meetings or like, first of all, I have two questions. One, did you come into these meetings with kind of an agenda around what you were trying to get out of the meetings? Um, And then also, how do you create a 15 year plan? You know, naively. Um, (laughs) So I did go to any meetings, any groups or anything. I knew what I wanted to get out of it at the end um, and and what skills I could put in. And so, you know, that's really how I approached it. If I could see something at the end of it for me, for my career. Um, And, you know, I, I think that sometimes it felt kind of icky, but then also realized that I'm still adding a lot of value to, you know, whatever groups I was a part of. Um, so I had to build up, learn how to build up that confidence for sure. Oh, and yeah. then, yeah. So the 15 year plan, you know, I will say that I still haven't figured out that 15 year plan, especially once I left the Riveter, um, my husband and I decided to have our second child. And while we had some like downtime, quote unquote, and then, uh, and then started, of course, started leg up Yeah. two months later. <laughs> Tell me about the origin story of the company and how you met your co-founder and, and all that. I know you've been going at it now for two and a half years. How's it going? Yeah. And tell me everything. It's going great. It's going great. It didn't go well at the first. At the beginning, it was pretty hard. I wasn't sure what problem I was truly solving. I just knew that working in HR, working around so many women, um, seeing so many women leave and break down in tears because they couldn't take job promotions um, because of a lack of ex- accessibility to childcare. And then, you know, seeing at the Riveter as well, you know, there's it was just really difficult for people to be able to find and afford um, access childcare. And so we, it wasn't until I had to experience it the second time, right. With my daughter, when we, you know, we were three weeks pregnant, found out we were pregnant and we were excited. And the first thing out of our mouth was like, crap, we didn't sign up for waitlist yet. Like that was the plan. We really, we had plans, start trying, sign up for waitlist that next month, you know, be ahead of the curve. And we did it. And I was like, this is, this is just so difficult. At the same time, I was at a five-year-old, almost six, and we were still looking for summer camps. Nothing was getting easier. So um, I said, I've got to fix this, right? I've got to make it easier for parents Mm -hmm. to be able to find care. And so I took it from the, that finding approach first and failed pretty hard, honestly. So, you know, we went out, it started with an Airtable spreadsheet, 
I built a list of all of the camps and all of the childcare programs in the area. And they started looking at, you know, their availability and how to contact them. And that took off. And so I said, well, let's build this into a directory. Um, and then the feedback we got, you know, we, we launched pretty quickly. Um, we were able to launch, you know, a beta version of it within three months and then tested it and parents, you know, we had over thousand camps activities in the platform. And then we talked to parents and said, was this helpful? And they're like, not at all. (laughs) Great. Um, And, you know, I ended up realizing that the search wasn't enough that we needed to help with the enrollment. And, you know, I actually had that realization, um, you know, we shut that first phase of it down. I ended up having my daughter then. And so I got pregnant. pregnant. I gave birth to my daughter. And then about six weeks later, after I had a conference actually with Leslie, Leslie and I did a, um, a, a speaking engagement, brought our babies on stage. And I was like, it's time to get back. Let's figure out like what I'm supposed to do. So we actually went and worked in childcare programs for a while um, and brought her along and said, how can we, you know, needed to understand the backstory of what was happening with childcare providers and found out the majority of them are people like me, women and people of color and people who have families and these are all small businesses and they were struggling they to be licensed, to be a licensed childcare provider is incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're low, you love what you do. You went out to be a, a teacher and care and educate children. And um, instead you, you know, they realized how much actually went into running the business. It's heavily regulated. Um, they're so regulated that it's so costly for them to run it that even though we're paying what feels like an exorbitant amount of money for, you know, for childcare, those childcare providers and the teachers barely make minimum wage. Um, and so staffing was hard, keeping up with everything internally. And then enrollment was even harder. Everything just felt like it was, you know, paper stacks everywhere, managing mm-hmm. wait lists. And, you know, so we can came in and said, how can we solve this problem? And it felt like it was bringing everything together from my passion around helping women and people of color, um, helping women start businesses, organizing everything, right? Like my type A personality was able to come in and say, nope, we can streamline this, streamline this. How do we keep the relationships there? Um, and so when I came to the realization of what it needed to be, I was able to figure out who I needed um, and started interviewing a lot of people. And I met I actually met my co-founder through a woman named Ilkana who ran a company called Jargon here in Seattle. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And so what's the business model? How does the company make money? Yeah, so we're a B2B um, childcare marketplace, and we help childcare providers be able to manage all of their enrollment processes, and then we connect families to that available care. So behind the scenes, because we are, you know, integrating into their systems, we've created their system, enrollment system for them, enrollment and marketing tools, a very lightweight CRM. Um, We have all the real-time supply and supply data and then we're able to surface that to actually employers so we go and work with employers to help their employees be able to find childcare, and we partner with city and government agencies to give them that information that they need to be able to help um, low-income families be able to find child care as well so we're able to create equity we make money through employers um, through our partnerships as well and then we keep mm-hmm. our tools free for child care providers got it and so um has what's been the biggest challenge now that you've pivoted to kind of including all this enrollment piece? Hmm. So we launched the second version of Leg Up 
March 12th, 2020, Mm -hmm. um, that morning. And then that afternoon, I got the call to come pick up my child from school because of COVID. And that was a struggle watching basically growing the company during a tumultuous year. Um, And you know, for all of us and definitely for childcare providers who still stayed open during COVID, they had a business to run, people still needed childcare, um, but facing so many different challenges in a way that's going to stick. You know, we thought it was going to, a lot of these challenges were going to disappear and we, oh, yeah, thankfully it was just two of us. I feel really grateful that we hadn't become big by that yeah, point and had to like because we just off. had to change yeah. so much. And we iterated on that product so much over the last year before we went out and raised. Um, yeah. And how much have you raised? So we raised a little under 1.2. And from angels, right? Who, who funded the business? Um, uh, we were able to stick in Seattle a lot. Uh, so angels, but also VCs. That's great. Yeah. And so how has that been for you? Is there's this whole like idea around, um, you know, picking investors who are going to be in it with you to, to the long haul or ones that are just like, mm-hmm. Hey, revenue, revenue, revenue. Um, yeah. and especially when you're really trying and you're not in a position necessarily to have like, I mean, maybe you were, but have people tripping over you. I just know statistically that's hard, um, for women and women of color, even harder. So yeah how did you go about vetting or choosing who to partner with at that level? It was difficult. We spent, I spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people and I'd already been doing it for, you know, throughout the year, just understanding what investors were looking for. Um, And we ended up, we were very lucky. Our lead investors, um, one of them is Pete Higgins from Second Avenue Partner, and then um, a guy named Reggie Brown, and he's a black man as well. And they were, this is the kind of business that they were looking for. And they have just been fantastic, fantastic oh, that's partners great. through it. That's awesome. Yeah, we're very lucky. Yeah. But a and lot who, of amazing other angels here who have just been great. Kirby and oh, Sarah. Kirby Winfield. Yeah. 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 Sarah and Bach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are great ones. Wow. Good for you. And so who are you competing against? Because in my mind, a little bit of this is a different pivot. But in my mind, when I was looking for childcare, I was going, um, going to care.com. Mm-hmm. And then also, I know that a friend of mine started Poppy. Um, yeah, Avni. Avni. And so great. I'm sure. And so there's just, how do you know that your timing and your business model are going to be able to like, why you? Yeah. So we knew when you look at care.com or Poppy, those were so one-to-one and, you know, I think this falls into our business model, but um, also my own approach in life, but it's been a lot of one-to-many, right? So we've said, how can I work a childcare program specifically? Um, they're often cheaper than nanny care, more accessible to a larger group of people. Um, as long as you can find, as long as you can find that. And so, you know, around the timing, it, the big thing was childcare programs weren't looked at as heavily. When we went out to raise, everyone was like, oh, so you're working with nannies. I was like, no, actually we're working with, a massive industry, $56 billion industry, 600,000 childcare programs across the country that haven't gotten the attention that they've needed because no one's been behind the scenes working with these, with these individuals. And so, you know, us being able to come after and, and, you know, stay so close to our customers for so long was really helpful. But then also during COVID, there's been a lot of focus on childcare, right? From mm-hmm. the government. Oh my gosh. And funding. Yeah. So much, so much. So both on the employer side and the government side, it's just been perfect timing for us. Yeah. And so, um, is the challenge more been in 
getting the business running with the childcare, um, with the daycares and childcare workers mm-hmm. or getting the corporations? Um, I would actually say with the partners. So childcare programs, because we know their business, they we speak their language and it's been pretty easy for us to get them on board. Um, employers are all about finding benefits um, for their employees. So that's been great. But for us, where the way we grow really quickly is actually through our government partnerships um, mm. and, and agencies. And it's a very fragmented um, area. And there's a lot of money being pumped into the system right now. And a lot of people figuring out where does that money go from the American Rescue Plan and the American Families you know, um, Plan, the new Biden plan that he's coming out with. And um, yeah, so, so that, that side's been the hardest, right? Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, um, so tell me more about the pandemic and how that has netted out for you as far as um, impacting your long-term goals for the business. The pandemic has um, in a way, and I always hate talking about it because if in a way you're, um, because it makes me feel kind of uncomfortable when I say like the pandemic was really good for our business. I understand that Um, same with us. And I'm like, it's mixed with like, not shame, but guilt. Cause you're like so many people, so many of my friends and family members are in hospitality and, um, you know, restaurants. And it's just so hard when they say how's business, you just almost want to downplay it, but people are cheering you on. People are rooting for you. So tell our listeners how it's gone and, and also how we can be helpful. Um, so, I mean, it really has been great for us. The industry realized a lot of childcare providers realized that they needed technology. They needed to move away from manual systems. They couldn't even let families in the door to be able to see the place where they're going to drop their child off and trust other people with their, with their, um, their family and their, their children. And so bringing them into technology has been great working with employers. Um, now that they're focused on helping parents, right? Not just women, although women have been disproportionately affected by, you know, this, this situation, childcare in general for many years, um, you know, employers being able to help their parents be able to find and enroll in care so they can get back to work. Um, yeah, it's been, we, they talk about timing when you talk about entrepreneurship and, and building a business. And I don't think you really realize it until you're in it, like whether or not you have good or bad timing and the of way course. the process has just been right. <laughs> or like <laughs> real estate, like how can we right? time it? We, we wish we could, we'd all be retired somewhere. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of people can see what's coming up, but you know, mm-hmm. for us being in the middle of COVID, it's just been, mm-hmm. yeah. And are you going to be, well for us. are you going to be building a team to support the growth? We have, so we're a team of 10 right now. Um, we'll add on two more before, um, before some more growth. So we are actually in Washington state. We have partnerships now in Colorado and New York and a few other states as well. Good for you. And what are the long-term goals for the business? Um, I'm guessing knowing your personality and knowing how you've described yourself, Mm -hmm. I'm guessing you feel successful because you took the leap to start it. And that takes a lot of courage and um, grit, but I'm guessing you don't feel kind of uh, done obviously. And and that there's so Mm -hmm. much more to go. When will you feel successful? Like, look what I built. When we can say we can effectively help families of all backgrounds be able to find and access care 
that helps them stay in the workforce, right? So it, it doesn't end at five, right? We think about childcare and it's like zero to five. And now it keeps going until I would say at least preteen. Um, I think it goes, honestly, I think it goes till they drive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that you necessarily need, <laughs> but I mean, having three kids my, of my own, they're very yeah. self-contained as far as I don't have to sit with them on Zoom calls during the pandemic. They, they do their thing. But at some, I need some sort of care if it's not me to get them where they need to go to activities or to, and maybe it's, maybe it's in the teen, preteen, and then it's maybe a babysitter after, but it's definitely mm-hmm. something, some after school, something till they're I don't know, 11, 12, 13. Absolutely. It doesn't stop. And anything that affects you from being able to work, being able to, you know, you only have two weeks of vacation and those are spent hanging out with the kids because they don't have school or something Mm -hmm. that it's, if it's affecting your career, we want to make sure you have the care that you need to. I love the angle that you're looking at this from, which is keeping mostly, you're right. It is disproportionately women as much progress as we've made. Usually women run the household in some way as it relates to the kids. Um, so I love that being linked to your goals, um, and given the age of your kids and given all the stuff that you're doing. And I ask this to men of men also, it's not just a a targeted question to women, but how are you balancing all of it? I did read that you wrote, um, or publicly said that being a workaholic almost really hurt your marriage. So how are Mm. you adjusting and balancing things now? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Being a worker like I'm not. <laughs> Honestly, you know, it um having an au pair, you know, my husband actually found the au pair system. And, you know, when we were struggling to find childcare while I was growing the company, and that has been incredibly helpful having someone in the home to to help oh, take yeah. care of our children. Well, and the hours we flexibility is so huge. Yes. Yeah. It's been, it's been great. We don't have to get in my car. Um, you know, my husband and I have done a much better job of making work, but it's been a struggle through, through COVID, right. Especially raising, um, he's taken on a lot more of the responsibility. That's awesome. Yeah. We, we have a really good, we make a really good team. Um, and so that's been really helpful. Yeah. And what about for fun? How are you Finding time for some fun. What do you like to do for fun? There's no fun. What are you talking about? You're fun. So that's enough. <laughs> but what about for you personally, like some self-care, some mental health, you know, preservation? Um, Friday night, my husband and I like to sit down and binge watch shows. And that's usually when I'll do my nails because I have no time to go to a nail salon anymore. <laughs> fun um, for him. My husband it. hates the smell of nail polish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He sits <laughs> on the other couch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you watching these days? So during COVID, we binge watched Shameless. Yeah, um, so good. So good. And of course, we've watched Ted Lasso multiple times. I've not watched that, that one. I, I've got that on my list. You, It's so uplifting. It was so needed during COVID. Interesting. And so um, as far as your plans to leave Seattle, which makes me sad because I, I, I love you. And I think that um, you've been a great addition cool. to the community. I've heard your name from so many people as just like someone to know. And um, yeah. I think it'll be a big gap. Um, what are your plans to integrate into the community beyond your gajillion family members? Um, <laughs> and how do you plan to scale the business from there? Are you going to be remote? 
Yeah. So we're fully remote. Thankfully, you know, we've got team members in South Dakota and Atlanta, all over Alaska as well. Um, So for us, I'm really excited because I think Miami is definitely getting a lot of the talk of the town. Um, I just got back and I was like, I want to move there. I want to place there. I'm obsessed. (laughs) It's amazing. I would say Tampa is a close second, honestly. I mean, I think it's better, but you can't beat the hype of Miami right now. And so, you know, there's a lot of potential there with UCF being there, USF, so close to University of Florida. Those are fantastic um, business schools and engineering schools. There's a lot of talent. I think Tampa is really hitting a lot on the crypto side. So USF has done a really good job around crypto. There's a few crypto companies over there, Um, but there's a lot of startup uh, I think it's on the it's on the verge of being a really great startup scene, kind of like Seattle was, I would say, 10 years ago. There's, you know, I've already been reaching out to some VCs and startup community out there saying, well, how can we, and maybe we, how do we hire more, hire more people and how do we make sure that Tampa is the place to be? And then how do we make sure that, you know, leg up and yeah. the efforts are known in Tampa? And what about some of your advisory work? Will you continue that from afar? I will. Yeah. So I advise FFA um, here in Seattle, but then also also Ethel's Club out of New Mm -hmm. York. So it'll be, it'll work out well. And tell me more about Ethel's Club. I've had Leslie on from FFA and love, and we're a big sponsor of FFA, but tell me more about Ethel's Club. Ethel's Club was the first, um, not even workspace, but community. So now digital community, but social club first for people of color bringing us um, people a space to get together and just walking into Ethel's Club when we, you know, when um, Naj, Naj Austin, the founder and CEO launched it, it was just so refreshing and felt, you just felt so comfortable walking into a room full of Black people, Black professionals and just interesting people and and who never really had a space to gather before. And I thought that was fantastic. And it's based in New York? is it's based in New York and she transitioned it over to an online community. This is awesome. So my, my final question for you is, is what's your fuel? What fuels you? Um, my work and knowing, I mean, talking to the customers, I say we're incredibly close to our customers, talking to them constantly and, um, just the, just the feedback they give and just knowing that we're doing so much, you know, I think there's a lot that we're doing for parents as well, but these business owners who just need a little bit of support to keep their business going and food on the table for their families, the way we've been able to support them has been great. And then also my kids, I've, I mean, she fuels me whether or not I have any say so in it. My 20 month old, 21 month old, she's wild she's not calm like my first one thank you for being an inspiration and for all you're doing and you're helping moms you're helping child care providers you're helping businesses keep their people which is a huge struggle thank you thanks for having me on thank you for listening to the what fuels you podcast be sure to subscribe rate and review on itunes google podcasts or spotify and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.